I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone, it's time for... The, the Connor, Connor and Smith Show! Thank you, Places. All right, this afternoon we're going to be talking to the original stage Mary Poppins, Laura Michelle Kelly. Uh, she is also uh, the beggar woman in the Sweeney Todd film with Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. Um... What a great film. Yeah, great film. Um, and she was also recently the leading role in Finding Neverland on Broadway before this whole pandemic thing happened. And we just were leaving the gym and we were listening to a wonderful uh, reimagined, uh, what was the song we were listening to? Losing My Mind. Yeah, Losing My Mind with a very different uh, arrangement. arrangement. It was really cool. It was really awesome. And... Also, she was in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway, and I was just listening to her on the wonderful cast recording, singing Far From the Home I Love. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to chat and catch up with her. Um, so we'll be right back. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm excited to have a good old chit chat with you. Hi, Laura. Um, it's me, Stephen, and sitting next to me is my husband, Matthew. Hello. Hi, Laura. Hi. Do I do I say Laura Michelle or just Laura? You know what? I answer to both. My friend, my friends and family all call me both. So I've never had a, you know, a want for either. So I'll accept anything. Or your girl band, or your all girl band, LMK. I like LM. Now, when you put it into Uber, it says, let me know, is is waiting for you. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> let me know. I was the original abbreviation. <laughs> now, now, we met at the Kennedy Center in, I believe, 2013. I don't know. Time goes so quick, doesn't it? It feels like just yesterday. And which came first? Was it Camelot or My Fair Lady? My Fair Lady was first. That That's was two thousand. That was 2013 because that was the year, that was the summer that Matthew and I got married. I remember that. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I just don't know who I am anymore. Like that, there's so many years has gone by. And Marsha Milgram Dodge, I miss the days when we worked with her. And I know you just did a interview with her, which I have yet to listen to. So I have to get on to try and find that. She is uh, an MMD. That's right. An MMD. I know. And I was so happy. You know, that's how I found you on Instagram. As I saw you did a interview with her. And so I think that's how I found you guys. And so I was really honored when you asked me to do an interview with you today. That, okay. I was in the audience, first of all, holding a program for the Candy Center, Fame Jiggy Bob. And first of all, you know, like a, a lot of theaters, but you know, when you go to the Candy Center, you kind of arrive at this huge building and think, oh, I am at the theater tonight. <laughs> I love that feeling. And you get in your seat and all of a sudden I knew that Stephen was in, of course, the My Fair Lady thing and it's a lot of local people. But my gosh, the cast for that show was incredible. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? You know why Michelle Obama asked us to do it, didn't she? Yep. I believe yeah, I think that was the thing. She Michelle asked Obama asked for that to be done. Wasn't that a gala for her? She and that, and I remember being disappointed that Obama himself didn't come because Israel had just gone through some trouble. So I remember the whole thing. I was like so excited to meet the president again because I'd met him before doing my Mary Poppins at um, in Washington on a July Fourth celebration, and they were incredible incredible to meet and dick van dyke was on the line oh no wow gavin lee was doing the playing but again um he came back after when i first got there it was christian Boyle, and then he came back and it was just it was the most amazing moment amazing year and then you know obama the obamas were just so sweet and um she looked like a mermaid and her beautiful gorgeous dress she's so tall and they were so nice to me and i thought wow this is something i'm meeting dick van dyke wow 
anyway, all that to say, so when the Obamas wanted us to do My Fair Lady at the Kennedy Center and also Marshall Milgram Dodge again, it was, right? Yes, yes. Um, it was just amazing. And then we went on and did it in uh, Santa Barbara after that. Right. That was so special. Jonathan yeah. Price was Higgins. I had always wanted to play it with him because he uh, discontinued playing the role when I stepped in to Eliza. And so I had always wanted to play it with him. And I, I he was such a lovely person. And just like most actors, you know, has this thing of, you know, I just want to work. You know, he had those thoughts. We had this these times over a margarita and he was like, I just want to work. And um, I thought that was a good lesson for me because, you know, he's the great Jonathan Price and he still questions, am I ever going to work again? You know, right. two Tonys and you still have to ask that question. Right. Right. And it made me think, oh, it's always going to be like this. Right. <laughs> it's always going to be a question mark. And I think maybe that's a healthy thing. Because it feels like every show has an expiration date at some point. You're going to be out of the show looking for the next show. Uh, some are better than others. Like, I think back in the day when when I was in London, everyone has a year expiration date because that's just what they do over there unless it's changed. And so everyone's itching to leave because they don't have a choice to, you know, they don't really feel like they have a choice. They have to stay as long as their contract lasts. So everyone's itching to get out of their contracts. And in Broadway, everyone's hoping it never ends because they know how lucky they are. And, yeah. Uh, sometimes in the West End, they'll extend your contract and sometimes they won't, but you know you're signing it for a year. and you're tr- Unless that was what I felt when I was in my 20s, like, oh, I'm trapped for a year. But now I just, I'm so grateful when I have a job, like Finding Neverland, I was hoping it would never end. And I kept going back to... Harvey Weinstein, the infamous Harvey Weinstein. I kept going back to him, can I extend my contract, please? <laughs> I just wanted to stay. I didn't want it to end. And I stayed for, I guess I was the I was the longest, longest lasting principal in that show. Everyone else kept leaving, like all the big stars kept leaving. And I was like the the one the, the, that stayed, the cement that stayed. And I was so grateful. They, But they always left it to the last minute to say, it was almost like they... Went through all their options. They're like, oh, I can't get anyone else. I just loved the people so much. That's why I stayed as long as I did with the King and I on the road. As, as, as hard as that and grueling as that job was, I don't know how I made it through to 18 months, but I did. And that uh, you, you stay. You're just so grateful for the work mm-hmm. and, and good work like that, too. Well, and it's almost like you you know what your job is. You know what, I mean, there's always an excitement to live theater, um, but I, I don't want to say it becomes rote, but it, it becomes like in your wheelhouse and your body's kind of like knows how to get through, you know, what you need to do yeah. for, for work that day or that week. But, but you know, okay, I'm just going to go there. Yeah. I, I did not grow up on Mary Poppins. I grew up with Jesus. And so I was kind of late to the Mary Poppins like fan club, and um, wait, 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 wait! Tell me what you're talking about. <laughs> well, when when I was growing up, I wasn't my we were I wasn't really into like movies and theater and whatnot. Yeah. I was just really into church, praying to God. Oh, not bad. That's no, like, I mean, yeah, it was great. That's where I got most of my musical influences and my journey. I I, I played with a gospel group for a very long time. But yeah. I just, I just wasn't very. Um, he did. They, they didn't watch a lot of like HBO or you know movies. Yeah. So anyways, but when I when I found Mary Poppins later in life, the movie and the show and that, I would imagine being Mary Poppins live on stage and knowing what everybody is feeling is just as exhilarating for you as it is for the audience because there is something so magical in just even being Mary Poppins. Um, you know, I have a similar story to you because when I grew up, I grew up in a very religious household and, um, you know, I, we grew, I grew up in church too, singing the, all the old hymns and I used to hate going and, but I have to say all those hymns you have to learn super quickly on the spot, basically by the second or third verse, you have to get the tune down, right? It's like hymnal karaoke right. and they're all old 
old weird ones that go from octave to octave and nobody can sing them all unless you're really lucky like us and you know you have to learn them all quickly so I actually did learn in church and then I was 17 and I um I guess I was allowed to listen to what I was allowed to listen to the only thing I was allowed to listen to other than the radio I wasn't allowed the radio what I was allowed to listen to was musical theater and I got involved at like 11 or 12 and on in local theater groups and so I found I don't have I didn't have an awareness of much on the radio um and if I did I would get really told off for singing them like I remember singing get your rocks off get your rocks off heard my dad yelling at me not <laughs> to sing do not sing that song <laughs> But, I mean, my dad's not like that now, but at all. But um, thank God. But we we all went through this journey of like restriction. But musicals are okay, and so I was I got so like, oh my gosh, you can sing these songs. What are they even mean? And getting really sad. And I was it was exhilarating to discover it for the first time. But I'm not like um, I didn't have access to mo to a lot all the musicals like Sondheim. I didn't have access to Sondheim. I only had access to the musical CD collection that my grandma had, and I would be allowed to every time month a new CD would come through, and I would be allowed to go to her living room floor and listen because we lived in a farmhouse on her farm, like not you know. At, cut off from the rest of the world and we would I would listen to the CD that she got and I would listen to it over and over and over and over and over again and my grandma was nowhere to be seen I think she was in the other room listening to me but only because someone told me that I did she I had the place to myself and uh you know so was grandma like a really big musical theater fan no I think she did it because it gave me freedom to she knew how much I loved it it was the one thing but she didn't like take she didn't sit there and listen or watch me. She, I think she was in the other room, maybe, listening to me singing a lot. I don't know. But but I want to know she collected them just for me. And when she died, I got the whole collection. Uh, and... She was she was your Mary Poppins. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I get, well, not really, actually. <laughs> she, she's probably... You know, she was not... She was a farm... A farm um lady so so up at 5 a.m you never saw her very much and uh but she did do that for me that was one of the best gifts she could have given me and my parents one of the best gifts they could have given me is driving me when I was very young to the local theater groups to get get involved with the amdram and I didn't get into stage couldn't get into stage four because it's too expensive so um they said no and I remember bawling my eyes out my heart's broken devastated and then I tell you what the, the old lady down the road she was my Mary Poppins her name was Barbara Walters she was a retired opera singer and she gave me free singing lessons and I would after school uh, as a teenager after school I would walk to her house and she we would sing all, all of our favorite songs and that's when pop music you know opened up to me she would let me sing Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston songs and she'd say but we must make sure you've got your opera training in as well so she'd let me do a balance you know right and at 17 she got me to a top E above top C and that was the note that got me into my first West End show because no one could do that note and I got in on that note really as what a beauty study the bell understudy at 17 yeah for Beauty and the Beast yeah that was a crazy beginning huh and then, you know, from there is what it was. But, yeah, she was my Mary Poppins. Um, and I, I'm, listen, I'm looking at Wikipedia. So you know how that is. Oh, can... don't. Some of it's totally wrong and you can't go in there and change it. Yeah, we're here to fix it tonight, I think. So <laughs> you, you were in Whistle Down the Wind in 2000? Yeah, that was my second big show. I was the lead. Andrew Lloyd Webber's new protege lasted five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he was under the next protege in no time. But it was, you know. And the 10 year old Jessie J was in that? Yes. She's oh gorgeous. My. She texts me from now, now and then, and I can't believe how. I knew she, she always wanted to be a pop singer. She was sure. Even though she was in that show, we were really tight in that show. She was my buddy, but she was a little young to be my real friend because she was like, you know, under 12. Um, and uh, but but we were really good friends in that show, as much as a twelve year old and a seventeen year old could be friends. But 
she kept in touch and she I got back in touch with her recently and uh, she's just didn't she just make a way for herself her own way it's amazing yeah she did she did all right for herself yeah she did <laughs> didn't she and she's still doing all right I mean I'm that career though that type of career is so hard as is musicals but it's so hard to to get through all the fashion changes and you know you got to keep reinventing yourself and being that you know icon i can't imagine it how hard it must be to be like lady gaga right well i think you have a team around you right you must do um if you don't i think it's difficult it must be yeah not like musicals they're very straightforward you show up for work you do the job you go home no entourage there right right (laughs) Um, so some of the other roles you played in the West End are include, um, Eponine, um, Sophie and Mamma Mia, of course, Eliza Doolittle, My Fair Lady. Um, your Broadway debut was as Hoddle in Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. And I, I almost got talked out of it by Cameron McIntosh because he had said, he couldn't offer me Mary Poppins. I remember one moment, very powerful decision moment in his office. I was summoned to his office and my agent was happened to be there too, seemingly very sweaty and nervous. I don't know. And I thought, that's unusual. And he, he says to me, if you accept Fiddle on the Roof, I cannot offer you Mary Poppins. And I said to him, are you offering me Mary Poppins? And he said, no, not yet. I'm saying I can't. If you go take if you take that job, I said, but they're offering me a job. Are you offering me a job? And he wouldn't say yes. He wouldn't commit to it. And so I said, I'm sorry. I really want to take this job. I'm going to Broadway. And he's like, and then he was all flustered and annoyed. And then, and that was that. I walked away thinking, well, I got a real offer. And I remember sticking to my gun. Someone said to me, there is power in your note. So I learned that I learned very early on when you say no, you go up in value to people and because you've got your boundaries and you've got to know what, you, what your line is. And that was my line. I was like, you're not offering me a job. These people are offering me a job. I actually had this belief that I was supposed to be in New York by Christmas that year. I, I had this vision of it and it was the weirdest thing. It, I, there was no, nowhere in any no news about that possible job coming I just had this feeling and this vision and I wrote it down this is one of the weirdest things that have happened to me I had a vision I wrote it down I decided okay well that's an interesting vision I don't and I just kept believing it and like declaring it out loud right that stuff's real that stuff changes things so I was I was saying I see snow I see I'm in New York and I see by Christmas and I was like where's this coming from sure enough out of nowhere, I get you need to get on a plane, Laura. You're going to be auditioning for this show, Fiddle on the Roof, and then they couldn't find a third sister. They need someone different, so go on in. I went on in. I didn't know the song until I got there, like the next day. And I walk in, and I'm terrible at auditions, but I did really well in this one. I had a friend waiting for me in the audience in the um, on the audition panel who I'd worked with before, and it was just everything was magical. Just one of those things. Walk into it. And um, by the next day, I went to my very first baseball game with the producer. She was so lovely. And we sat and we watched my first Yankees versus Mets. And while I was seeing them win, I can't remember who won. While I was seeing them score and do these, you know, she's like, we'd like to offer you the role. And I said, what? (laughs) She's like, just like that. Within 48 hours, they'd offered me the role. She said, I'd want you to go find where you want to live. (laughs) <laughs> to this while you're here and uh pick it and we you'll be back here in I don't know two months to start for rehearsals just like that I was in my house by Thanksgiving that year that same year that I and anyway all this to say that happened and suddenly I was playing Hoddle and Fiddle on the Roof with this amazing bunch of people getting my taste of what Broadway was for the first time was that the Alfred Molina revival yeah oh my gosh so working with him must have been incredible. I tell you something about him that was amazing, and I'll never forget it. We would all show up for work at about I don't know six thirty p.m. of a night. The show would start at seven thirty, so that was a bit earlier than he needed to be there. He would be fully dressed with his coffee or 
drink in his hand, fully in, in character outfit, top to toe, at what at an hour before performance, and he would greet and there was it was the Minskoff Theatre, so everyone would come up through this elevator and they would be greeted with Alfred standing there, fully dressed in his outfit, ready to chat to you. How cool is that? <laughs> wow. An actor prepares, right? He would be in his full outfit. He was creating this incredible community atmosphere, as was Jonathan Buttrell, who during rehearsals, we'd all have to massage each other. I don't think that would be allowed now, but uh, because of the rules. But <laughs> you have to massage yourself. In... <laughs> yes. We would all be in a line, sorry, a big circle. And everyone would do one person to our right, shoulders, arms, like the whole body, some, even the bum, which is weird, right? But now you can't say that now. You can, no one can do that now. Obviously, you could say, no, I don't feel comfortable with that, which I did. <laughs> but when you turn around and you do every, do the next person, and it could be, you could, depending on who you were standing with, you always, so you really got to know each other and relax and get, you know, that's how you started every rehearsal. Wow. And I, w I just want to say there's something absolutely uh, transformative when you see Fiddler on the Roof. I think it's one of the most perfect musicals based on the placement of songs and the, the script and the story. It's about a family that's faced with breaking traditions. And it's yeah. so, and, and what family has never really been through that? I think it's a magical, magical, beautiful story. Isn't it like um, that moment where you come of age and you have to say to your parents, uh, I'm doing this. And they're like, no, you will not. And, you're, and it's that moment where they really, truly have to let you go. And that that's the powerful thing, I think, about, but not just the powerful. That's it's also about this terrifying time in life where, you know, you suddenly find yourself being persecuted when... It, it that's the also the, the most heartbreaking thing about that everything's being torn apart. How are you going to hold on to what's important? What is important, and how do you survive? You know, it's one of the most perfect musicals that could ever have been written. And when I think about that very beginning song, tradition, we did it recently. We did a reunion, and we put together uh, the prayer. Did you see that? We did a video of the prayer. Everyone in over Zoom when no. COVID, when COVID first came out. Sorry, when COVID first happened, um, we everybody got together and did a video and uh, of tradition and into the prayer and like because I think most people really just want to feel blessed right now in this time. They want to feel like what how, how some goodness, and it was one of the best songs to do that with. Oh God, Sabbath prayer is so gorgeous. You had to find it. We did it. It's probably on YouTube. Um, yeah, we're gonna find it. Absolutely. Um, so, how then, with your Broadway <laughs> debut as Hoddle, how did that resolve with uh, Mary Poppins? Okay, so this is another this is another crazy thing that happened. You know, I used to be tight lipped about all these stories, but now they're the most interesting thing. I feel like I'm allowed to share. Um, you can hear, I don't know if you can hear my son banging in the background. Mommy, mommy. That's quite um, all right. <laughs> this is your son's podcast debut. Oh, so, you know, I tell you, he's going to have his own. He's quite wild. Is what, he's a wild one. He's definitely an extrovert. <laughs> um, what are we talking about? Mum brain. Uh, uh, Mary Poppins. Mary oh, Poppins. yeah. So this is a crazy story. So after five months, so I'd be, I suddenly having had that conversation with him around, I don't know, September. September, October, I get the job. I, I, I moved to, move to New York and by Thanksgiving, I'm in my house, right? And then uh, by May, out of nowhere, no audition, no audition, uh, I'm offered the job, May 20th. We're, get, we're offering you Mary Poppins. And so he's like, but now you need to get out of Fiddle on the Roof. And I, I didn't know at the time how important the Tonys were really, uh, I begged and begged to let me stay a bit longer. Um, I ended up doing the Tonys, but you know how you're supposed to stay for a long time after the Tonys? And uh, I remember poor David Laveau was like, you really, you really have to stay. You know, you can't just leave before Tonys. Um, he said, I won't keep you here because I know how this, this is a big part for you, but I really am asking you, please, can you hold on? a bit longer and I was like I'm being told I have to leave right now because <laughs> he's, he's like 
I'm going to give you the job, but you have to leave right now anyway. So I did. I, I left mid-May and then found myself like waiting a long time till rehearsal started. Um, but uh, that was the thing. He just offered it to me and he, anyway. And he was like, it, it was wonderful. The whole experience. I walked into a fully prepared production team. They knew exactly what they wanted to do with that show. I was the best um, first originating role I could walk into. That was the first one I officially made, you know, out of. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. That you, you, Hoddle had been played by so many, uh, but Mary Poppins had never been played by anyone except for Julie Andrews. Um, In a different medium. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the first time, and, and I they set me up to win. All of them did, because I started early, tap dancing way early. I remember we were in a New York, I was doing Fiddle on the Roof during the day, and during the during the night and during the day the most amazing Jeff Garrett who is one of the anchors to Cameron McIntosh's shows because he he sets the lot he has set them a lot of them up he knows every single dance step he's like so brilliant and he worked with me for weeks to get my tap dancing up to par so that when we started the rehearsals I had the tap language in my body already so I didn't have it takes me a lot longer than most to learn dance steps just by the way uh but what but I know I can learn them it just takes I can't learn it on the I can't watch someone okay they just did one move oh got it you know like most right. people can do I'm a two and a half threat <laughs> not a triple threat <laughs> a two and so, a half a 2.5 so two and a half sometimes I'm a little two point seven five depending on how long I've been working on it uh so I will tirelessly and this is this happened to me recently when we did me and my girl um in uh where did we do that I'm having a brain fart was it encores yes no sleep uh and I had to play Sally and Christian Borrell obviously and they wanted a tap number and I didn't know that I I didn't know this I can't think when I joined signed on um most people just assume I know how to tap. Uh, so I had to work. And that was such a short rehearsal time that I remember getting given the videos. And now you can do a slow motion videos. Now I can get set so easy. As long as I get a video of someone, I will tirelessly and ADD focus on <laughs> those tap steps until I get them. And I, I will work until midnight. And I had to do that. So unfortunately for me, I did it to the point where I posted something of me doing a tap routine somewhere. So the next show said, hey, we want you to play. Uh, so that went okay, basically. It was a brief two and a half minute tap dance. I mean, there are some sensational tap dances in that show. If that me and my girl ever happens again, and which I think it should, everyone wants to see that now because it's such a feel good show. They should do it right now. Um, but that I did it so well convincingly that the next show I did the Royal family of Broadway in uh, BSC uh, Barrington stage company. I went to go do that. And uh, they were like, okay, so we have this eight minute opening number. You're tap dancing through the beginning. <laughs> they gave me an eight minute tap dance. And then they wouldn't let me rehearse it because they couldn't give me the time to rehearse it because they were working on other things all the time and all the dancers were working on the tap dance in the other room while we were doing the acting in another room. And I could hear them and I was like, oh my God, you guys, they gave me the most challenging thing and I had to figure out how to learn it while doing, it was just a crazy creative process. Anyway, needless to say, I don't think I was very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they ended up sticking me in the middle and dancing around me. Like that was, you know, so I, I was like, guys, don't give me an opening number that's a tap dance routine. I'm supposed to be amazing in it. <laughs> but the, Unless I, it's supposed to be a comedy and I get it wrong all the time. But they were like, we have Mary Pop and she can tap. Honestly, that's what everyone always says. So I have to work on it all the time. My, <laughs> my dancing technique. <laughs> because because you're synonymous in their minds with, well, of course she can do all that, right? You know? Well, with time, I can do anything, and I love that. Like that, that people allow me that. But honestly, when there, are, it just amazes me how other people can just watch something once and just do it, 
or like throughout my like my career I they've always wanted me to show up to the dance auditions uh and I just I'm like uh can you do me separately please you know they really gave me a lot of leeway in England but they don't give you leeway in America you cannot get out of an audition I if someone offers me the job like for a workshop 10 they've often kept me for the rest of the run of the show like okay it's mine but and that's how I often got work through starting off but give me an audition and I will work my butt off and I don't get them that way I'm just I bomb in the auditions and I'm you know so I'm saying all that so that anybody out there who's like I'm never gonna make it I'm terrible there's always a way if there's always a way a magical way that things can miracles happen and just like mary poppins would say anything can happen if you let it you just gotta let it you just gotta show up speaking of miracles yeah uh this is going back to mine and your uh church upbringing maybe yeah you know someone asked me one time me and steven kind of write uh rather darker shows and someone once said to me matt why, why do you why do you write such dark music and stuff and i said you know, I was raised in the church and they kind of looked at me crazy. And I said, you know, almost every story in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, some of them start with sort of a very challenging journey that ends into a light of salvation because it has to be a journey into the light. Um, but with that, I'm obsessed with a darker movie that you were a part of. <laughs> Sweeney Todd. And we just watched a clip because we just watched a clip of you and Johnny. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, we now. Like, Which one was it? Arms, arms for a miserable world. No, no. We, we watched when you were pretty in the flashback. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The uh, barber and his wife. And he then was, we. Can I just say, though, whenever I think about my moments with that man, he was such a gentleman to me. I was a nobody. Should have, you know, to someone like him, worth nothing. But, you know, you'd think, possibly. But he was like, can I get you water? Do you need a cushion? Like, when there's a moment when I'm dying, right? And he was just, he was so thoughtful towards me. I, I'll never forget that. And he bled, his neck was split, and he had to bleed all over my face and in my nose. And I'm pretty sure, as I was drowning on his blood, uh, in the because they were doing this slow pullback after this blood was going in my nose and in my eyes, uh, they were doing it so slow. I had to hold my breath for that long as this the horrible stuff was going in my face. And I, I, I was, I, they shouted cut and I spat out all this blood that accumulated in my nose, right? And I'm pretty sure it went in his face oh. and he didn't say anything. He just left immediately, like didn't make me feel embarrassed. Like just left the room and they had to clean them up. And they're like, okay, we're going to take a break. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I spanned his face and he did nothing. Like he just was the most respectful. I was, I'll never forget that. Where, where, where was that shot in California? Pinewood in England. Oh, it was, studios. it was shot in England. Yeah. And uh, Tim Burton often likes to work in England because England's very grey and artful. I love all <laughs> of Tim Burton's work. He, he actually genuinely loves that Sleepy Hollow kind of atmosphere. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me, it makes me depressed. I moved to LA for that reason because I, I need the sun. Yeah. But and he loves how dark and deep and poetic all the you know grey skies are. And was Sondheim involved? Like, was he on set a lot? I remember we went for lunch, dinner, actually, after, around that time. And we shared stories and all that stuff. Um, he was in the first, one of the auditions. I'd already been offered the job, and I was in a room singing. And he, he's, I remember hitting, like, a really high note. But I'm an old lady who's gone senile, so I'm not going to sing it beautifully right that's in my mind so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that and he he jumped from his seat and he goes oh, I always wanted it to look sound like that <laughs> which is so interesting because everyone sings it operatically you know right but uh, I, I I always hated the fact that Sondheim ever only ever heard me sing like an old lady nastily he didn't hear me sing like in my best and I have never I actually have never done a show one of his shows yet. I've done concerts where I sing his work, but 
I've always been desperate to do Into the Woods and it's never worked out. And I always say to everyone, I'll be anyone you want me to do. I just don't want to do the show. Prince, I auditioned for The Princess. I was so close. I auditioned for The Baker's Wife. I was so close. So that's one show I'd like to do. But no, I've never done a show of his yet. Just a film of a show of his. Right. Yeah. It's in my head. It's funny. I don't count it. But yeah. What a great movie. I was so happy that they were making his work into a movie. I thought for sure it was going to be the beginning of movie musicals happening. And it didn't really. I think we're coming into that now. I think, yeah. yeah. With La La Land. Wow. I loved that show. Well, and Into the Woods happened and Dreamgirls happened. And yeah, I, I think they're back. Chicago. To stay. Yeah. With Chicago. Yeah. I feel like that kind of kicked all of them off. It did. Yeah, it did. But that was brilliant. Um, that film, how they would segue in and out of musical numbers with like the dripping of water of a faucet started the cell block tango. Yeah. Um, just brilliant things that kind of massaged you from the movie world into movie musical world. Um, but yeah. yeah, the, the Sweeney Todd film we loved, we went to see that when it came out. I, I mean, to me, I, I really wish that Burton could have done into the woods um, yeah. because I, I just feel like Burton and Sondheim are like a match made in like heaven. Well, yeah. Didn't he, isn't he, I had, I thought he was going to do another one, but um, yeah, they definitely did be making more of Sondheim's. There's so many meaty movies could be made from Sondheim's work, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I've forgotten, Sondheim was involved with West Side Story. I'd totally forgotten that. Yeah. Yep. That's how he started. Well. And that film's coming out. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I like, where is the film version of Follies? I want to see that. Somewhat. That's actually just about to, it's one of the new shows coming out, isn't it? In that the national. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. And I, when I, I just saw that, you know what? I've been so out of the loop since having two kids, well, one kid at first and then a second kid all in COVID time. I've been in my own little cocoon and I I have to say I'm so shocked that I completely stepped away from most social media and the second I step back on I'm like oh my gosh what everything's coming back open and it's exciting and I'm not doing anything (laughs) like I'm completely out of the loop well well we'll get you back in we're We're very much, no, I'm kidding. We're out of the loop as well. No, um, you're not. You know everyone. Everyone's coming on your podcast. You guys are famous. <laughs> not not correct. Um, but hey, I want to talk to you real quick about your uh, your recording, your uh, The Storm Inside. Okay. Um, so I've listened to a lot of it, including that title track. It's beautiful. Um, and you write some of your own stuff, right? I used to, yeah. I was 24 when that came out. And then pretty much, you know, Mary Poppins came out. That came out. The movie came out. Then I did a play with Kevin Spacey, the infamous Kevin Spacey. Oh, wow, yeah. And, uh, Jeff Goldblum. And so it was a really busy, busy time. And I felt like I was on top of the world. Um, and then, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a story for another time. But uh, then... Yeah, I used to write and I haven't done it for a very long time. I do it during creative process. Like I'll just lend my writing ideas to people when they're create we're creating shows like Lord of the Rings or um I just recently helped with uh, playing Aust- Jane Austen uh, while pregnant, heavily pregnant in Seattle. We were making uh, Austin's Pride, which is a great musical and I hope they do it. There's a lot of Pride and Prejudice new, uh, musicals out there, but this is a really great one. Um, great premise. Like Austin is interacting with all her characters and it's what goes behind, what helped her create these characters with her personal life, you know, involving, uh, in, influencing the characters' stories. It's, it's very interesting. I loved playing that part. And I especially loved that Raphael was in my belly for it. Um, but um, all that to say yeah I lend my I love helping with the creative process during a show show being made like you know coming up with 
helping with the different lines that I, my character might need to say, like what we're mi- what we're missing. Right, right. Um, and and so I have to ask about this because I I watched a little bit of it and I had not heard anything from it until. But uh, can you talk a little about the Lord of the Rings, the musical? Yeah. You played uh, Galadriel. I do. Yeah, I did. It's you... on YouTube. It's my no. favorite clip to see coming from the center of a golden tree. That was one of the most amazing moments. The costume is out of this world. Um, that was just an amazing part to play. And it was one of the smaller parts I've ever played because I wasn't on until halfway through the second act. Uh, so I would wait. I would, And that was such a fun experience because I'd get to really hang out with everybody. <laughs> I had the communal room just off the stage and everyone would come in to see me and I would paint in that show, paint on the walls. And I um, unfortunately was painting in my costume and got purple paint on it once, but we should not talk about that much more. Uh, <laughs> I, they were mad at me. Um, to be fair, that they were right. Uh, but it was a fantastic show to do. And the people were incredible. And we trained for like 11 weeks for that. I was doing silk work. I was like, it was just me and like 38 men because they were all doing, I, there wasn't a lot of women in that show. Right. Uh, orcs and hobbits and it was it was interactive, immersive theater before that had been invented for stage. And before that was a thing, it was way ahead of its time. And I don't know why no one's picked it up and run with it again now i mean i think i would do it again in a shot it was just so luscious this show is so luscious and so much more could be done with it too very filmic very spectacular and um there was a lot of stories you could tell in that one show they cut it down from four hours to three and a half i think wow Yeah. yeah i mean but I feel like there's more of a precedent for that now. I mean, with the Harry Potter stuff that's been on Broadway, that's, you know, long or in two different parts. Yeah. Um, we yes. were just... Now they could do that. They could do a two different part Lord of the Rings. And, you know, you're paying when you're paying that much money and you do pay a lot of money to watch a show, you know, you're getting a big bang for your buck when you go to something like that. Absolutely. And then if you cut it in half, you can make people pay that twice. <laughs> I know people are willing to now since Hamilton. <laughs> like I'll pay eight hundred dollars for a ticket. So the the Drury Lane is sort of like what in New York? It's like the bigger space. It's one of the bigger theaters, yeah, but not the biggest. And then, uh, but to fill it, you, it's it can be tricky. Yeah, we, we were talking last night to Dana Rowe, composer who wrote The Witches of Eastwick, that opened at Drury Lane. Um, yeah. And so it's it's interesting hearing his kind of the difference between, um, you know, the, the, the West End and Broadway, that kind of perspective. Um, Big shows don't always last even in London. Like they'll, the, if it's, it's a successful run, if it's been on three years. And so you often want to gauge, do we want to be a, uh, uh, a slow burn and and get you know pack out a small house and keep going for a longer time we've got to keep our costs low or do we want to get big bang for our buck release it have three years of solid like full as many people as we can get in a room as possible and you know is it worth that but unfortunately shows are so expensive and you've got to you can't guarantee a long run so you've got to really gauge like what kind of show is this like like whistle down the wind was um a niche market I guess it's like a, you can't it was a smaller theater so you'd expect it to last a bit longer running costs were low but um you know that even lasted three and a half years I think in the end so well they, they all the good ones last about that at least they last that I'm I'm looking at our time and I want to be uh, conscious of your time but I do want to wind back to when then where we first met at the Kennedy Center in 2013 and 2014. Camelot. And yeah, in 2014, we did Camelot. We, uh, you were Guinevere and um, gosh, that was another stellar cast. Um, oh, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Wow. Yeah. What a, what a great actor he was. Is. Yeah. What a great person. 
my goodness, I love him. He's awesome. There's some really great people, isn't there, in our community? Oh, Liz, yeah. You know who else is, is, was, is a gentleman? Lin-Manuel Miranda. He used mm-hmm. to say hi to me from across the road. Didn't know me from Adam, but he would always greet me on the street because I was doing Finding Neverland opposite him. You know, these is people that just are real, like, incredible talents and so totally humble. And when you meet them, you're just so touched by it. And it stays with you. So I always like to say, when you meet someone like that, the Brian Stokes Mitchell is one of those salt of the earth people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back because we had this moment with uh, Marsha Milcom Dodge. Uh, uh, Cloris Leachman, unfortunately, has passed away recently. Yeah. And we were in My Fair Lady with her. And I think the only fitting tribute to someone of that of, of any walk of life is the stories they leave behind and the the ways they make you smile um or giggle uh so the, yeah. fir- the first day that she arrived at rehearsal she came in with her cane almost did like a prat fall <laughs> and went to the piano and started playing and <laughs> it was like the rehearsal room stopped breathing to kind of go, what's happening right now? Cloris Leachman has just hijacked rehearsal. We already have like a week to put this together. We don't oh, have time yeah. to waste. And But yet, she no one was going to stop her. She could not learn her lines at all. And I remember this really important moment at a table where, you know, we're having tea and she's supposed to say a whole bunch of stuff, right? To help me then say my stuff. And about Eliza's going to make a decision and she's going to then burst into song uh, about, you know, what what she's going to do. And, you know, she could not get any of those lines out. I had, she had them written down by her hand and she always forgot they were there. (laughs) And I would show her, I would point to where we were at on the lines and... (laughs) Anyway, all this to say, she was a great sport. We got through it. And uh, when I went, I just loved that when I went to visit her in LA, she invited me over. I think she forgot that I was coming. And she was, she stayed in bed. She was like, I just want to stay in bed. So I was like, okay. She said, you want to get in? <laughs> so I just sat next to her in bed. And we had a giggle and we talked about fun stuff. And, uh, you know, she lived in this house and amongst the the trees, really, with her, I think her daughter. She had a lovely house, very ordinary. And um, for a spectacular person, I was amazed at how just normal living she had. She was living the way she was living. And uh, she was a lot of fun. I've got good memories from working with her. Oh, I, I uh, she went to the cafeteria with the, you know, the ensemble one day just, you know, cause she wanted to eat at the cafeteria and was just there with her tray in line. Like we were all back in high school, you know, and I was, <laughs> I was in line next to her and she asked me what was good and what to avoid. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. And my friend Gannon O'Brien, who was in the show with us, um, he, he loves her. And there was a film she did I can't remember if it's beer fest or something like that, where they call her Gam Gam and they talk about Gam Gam sausages. And <laughs> and he basically tried to make a joke, hoping she'd remember something from a line from a film she was in out, out of the hundreds, you know, yeah. of films. And he said, oh, you could always have Gam Gam sausages. She was like, oh, I don't eat sausage. So she totally <laughs> didn't, it went over her head or she didn't choose to acknowledge it. Either oh, are possible. Um, but the one thing I do remember is go- after that day, coming back from lunch, and in the few minutes we had before we were to start after lunch, uh, she sat down at the piano and she played Claire de Lune from memory. And it was gorgeous. It was breathtaking. I was about to get married like, a week or two from then and Claire de Lune was the first piece of music in our wedding. So I was standing there sobbing, um, knowing that that was about to happen. And just at the wonder of anyone really being able to sit at a piano without any music and just play Debussy or anyone like that, you know, just incredible. But that's a gift, isn't it? 
when someone can do that and the fact that they you leave from someone having to having learned something like that other people leave in awe of that moment like it's an unforgettable moment you're creating that's what i love about musicals you have so many unforgettable moments that can trigger beautiful life change for you or Mm -hmm. just joy or just joy Mm -hmm. i'm just i just i'm so excited that I think there's going to be an explosion of good creativity now that everyone's allowed to go back to work mm-hmm. and work together. There's going to be so much more gratitude. And um, yeah, I think, I think that, I think that there's going to be a, a whole new uh, level of, of support and um, for the arts too, I hope. That's what I I'm al- hoping for. I also think that this holiday season is going to be very special. Yeah, hope so. Because people will be able to get back together with families, and yeah, here's hoping anyway. Um, yeah. But like this, this is the such a beautiful thing that came out of your podcast. Came out of this, um, you know, stifling creativity and social so, uh, social interaction has come this beautiful thing. And I love that you guys are going to get to talk to all your friends and make new ones doing this. And I'm really grateful you asked me to come on today. Well, oh, I mean, it's great to hear from you. And this I, is the, the longest we've ever spoken in life. Oh. So, <laughs> Wait, did I not talk to you in rehearsals? No, we just didn't have time to talk. <laughs> that makes me sound terrible. No, literally, we were all working in different rehearsal rooms yeah, around, that was you know. pretty intense. Right, it? talking yeah. about the flat ball change. <laughs> but you know what? We signed up to that thinking that we could weed out of, fo- you know, folders you know a light musical staging is what we were told but with uh, with all people in our industry you're you're then thrown into no it looks terrible if you don't have a folder or that one person who knows everything by heart so you have to look as good as them right and And so i showed up knowing this that you know it's never liked light musical staging ever with these things like on course full-on tap dance routine yet you're being told you don't have, you know you can keep hold of the folder if you want to because you'll what... just look like an ass <laughs> <laughs> you're that one person with it i i will never forget marcia on opening night saying please don't tell anyone that you can do this in just a week because that will change everything and of course yeah. that's exactly what has happened you know well, we, we as always we always want to show up right it's a bit like the muni you have to show up ready so that you can enjoy it but there was some in, in those days i hadn't really learned yet that you know you really do need to know it before you show up this is not a thing where you hold the folder it's not like you I didn't know that back then um now i do <laughs> you have to know it otherwise you won't have fun i always think it's best to go there prepared than you just have fun with everyone. It's one of the most important things to me is getting to have that interaction with the other people you're in the show with. Uh, Back in my 20s, I showed up, you'd ask me to do a part, I'll know the part inside out. I don't have time to socialize. I don't have time to go to the cafeteria. I got stuff to learn, right? Mm -hmm. I spent my 20s doing that. Thank God I got to experience the other side where I could enjoy people's company while making some beautiful art piece. I think that that really exploded for me in my 30s. And now for me, if you can't enjoy the people you're working with, you know, while you're doing it, then that you're missing out, really. Right. right. Why are you doing it? I, well, it's, I mean, I and I realized on a recent gig that that is not, a lot of people aren't at that point. Like they're just still at the sticking my head down I'm gonna make it rain I've, I'm in the competition you know I've I'm at this bit what how can I make this position so uh you know even better than what I, how can I get to the next level on the ladder and I'm so glad that I I can truly appreciate yes stick your head down do the work make sure you do the work well but now I can appreciate though the people that I'm working with is just as important to me as as the work itself because I don't know I think that's what I think as I get older that people are the most important absolutely 100% yeah yeah uh, with that we usually ask three get uh three questions for to our guests before we go the first question is during the pandemic everybody sort of learned new languages new things to bake uh I'm going to 
get on my treadmill and become a Pilates trainer, blah, blah, blah. What did, did you learn anything new? Are you now, are you now fluent in German? Oh my gosh. No, I learned how not to be a parent. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea the skills you need to be a good parent. And I've, you know, the first, my first baby, he had such problems eating. He was early. And I won't say that that's because I worked really hard during my pregnancy. I did work really hard, but apparently he just wanted to arrive four weeks earlier than five weeks earlier than he should have. And uh, I was even in my last week of uh, playing Jane Austen and I, up into the moment. So that uh, he, he decided to come on my day off. So we had a week to go. I think my understudy was grateful, came and did a great job finishing that. But so he arrived, but then he, he struggled so much with being small and not eating. Um, so I, first year of COVID, I was just trying to keep him alive. So <laughs> got got into a year old, found out I was pregnant when he was only six months with our second baby. So first skill, keeping one child alive. Second skill, uh, having two and trying to keep it together. That's, those, are the, those are the skills I've been learning. <laughs> those are great skills. Yeah, I turned 40 too. That, to, to enjoy and love life, learn to be a parent, learn to be a, a good mom, and uh, I've still got a lot to learn. So that's, that's really what my COVID time's been like. I, Dur- yeah. Dur- during, <laughs> during the pandemic, did you and your family like binge watch anything, whether it be family or not, uh, a series that you're like, we watched all of this? And, uh, I can't even tell you because when you get into that binge watching mode, you don't even remember what you're watching anymore. And all I know is I've watched every single show on Netflix and Amazon Prime, <laughs> and I can't even tell you what they were. They they, they sucked up all my uh, screen time for sure. Uh, while I was pregnant, because I was an insomniac, so during every pregnancy to deal with my anxiety, I would stay awake on night watching anything I could watch. Um, I would say what to expect when you're expecting app sucked all the hours out of me too. Right. Like in the anticipation for baby one and baby two, I was on there talking to all the women, encouraging all the women with their next part of their journey and getting all the encouragement I could get. So yeah. Is, does that answer the question? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and finally, um, so Matt is, uh, producing our friend Susan Derry's uh, upcoming holiday album entitled uh, I Wish It So. Cameron wanted to do it, but I, I, I decided to do it instead. Yeah, <laughs> Great. And uh, so we've been talking a lot about uh, wishes and what a wish really is and um, the powers of a wish, um, yeah. a, a manifestation. Um, like you, you had the vision of snow in New York. Um, so We've I, I made a wish box that looks kind of wackadoo. Um, yeah, I wish I could see it. Well, I'll I'll send you a picture. It's uh it I my art medium is kind of that of uh, a seven or eight year old aesthetic. So it looks like a child made it, but it, um, it makes you smile and then question. Yeah. <laughs> but uh anyway, I've been asking of each of our guests if you had just top of the head, first thing that pops up, if you had one wish be it for yourself, your family, the country, the world, whatever, what is the first thing that pops to mind? To be close to the people that you love mm-hmm. at any moment in time. Is it? Is this a real wish that could come true or is this a, a, a wish I could be with the people that I love all over the world all at the same time? You know, I'm not a genie, so there's not an, a wrong answer. Well, I don't imagine, this isn't a real, you can't do this until you know, you're on the other side of eternity, but I would like to be able to visit my friends as and when I want to at any point in time, at any part of the world. If I could do that, I would, that would be what my superpower would be. And I suppose you can do that when you pass on. Yeah, that's beautiful. I wonder where Clara's Beachman is right now, which where right. she's choosing to visit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, a really interesting idea, actually. Um, yeah, she's probably at a piano somewhere yeah, or so under the covers. Yeah, <laughs> in bed. No, she's choosing to stay in bed and her friends visit her. That's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for spending time with us, Laura. Um, Much love to you and the family. Thank you so much. And you brought me so many smiles asking me all these questions. I love that. And you brought a lot of happy memories to mind. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, love you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. such a great chit chat with Laura this this week's guests have been so fantastic yeah such great conversations yeah we could have we could have talked forever with yeah. everyone yeah um, and if, if you want to know more about who we are uh, check out www.connor with an er Smith musicals.com or find us on Facebook under Connor and Smith please subscribe rate and review to this podcast it helps us out a lot And like we always say, turn your heart into art. Bye, everybody.